0: And why do they sound like they're a 13-year-old kid? Are, I, I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to use Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to answer even if, that. Even if I knew the answer, I'm not telling you. Our question of the day. What will be the biggest in-game difference what about this us? year?
1: This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off... Here's the double coverage interview of the week. Yesterday
2: I spoke with college football insider Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports. On topic, conference realignment, potential Big 12 and Pac-12 expansion, and how much money are the Big 12 schools really going to get each year in their new TV grant of rights contract? This is Dennis Dodd, one-on-one on BYU Sports Nation. Dennis, how would you explain your life as a college football insider following expansion over, let's say, the last decade?
3: Yeah, that's when it started, about 2010. It uh, Well, having gone through what I did then, I will tell you what went through my mind on July 21st, 2021, when the news broke that Texas and Oklahoma were going to the SEC. I just said, my life is about to change. And it did <laughs> Personal life, professional life, time constraints. Because it's not just, it's not just that piece of news. It's what it does, the ways that come out. Like you said, realignment. Every other conference, the speculation. I have, I have this overarching thought about realignment. Anything you write can't be wrong because someday it could be true. Um, <laughs> you can just throw anything out there. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, when when USC and UCLA or going to the Big Ten four time zones away, then then anything's possible. Wild, to
2: say the least. And you reported last week, and we believe it to be true in the moment, that the Pac-12 was looking seriously at adding San Diego State, SMU. So from a Big 12 standpoint, if you're Commissioner Brett Yormark, who says he's open for business, is it in the Big 12's best interest to – Go after SMU and compete for the Pac-12 in that regard, or just be blatantly open to poaching from the current Pac-12?
3: No, SMU is not in play. Um, you know, there's significant question of what SMU brings to the Pac-12. Uh, obviously, the Big 12 is already in Texas. They don't need SMU to get a recruiting base in Texas. They're good there. They had a team just play for the national championship. So, no, uh, SMU is not in play for the Big 12. For the Pac 12, I guess you can make the case that it gets them into Texas for recruiting purposes, but it wouldn't be the first time that warm bodies were added to a conference to to provide to you know to provide content, to provide inventory. That was the case, I think, with with Missouri and the SEC. There was no logical connection there. They needed who is I'm trying to think who the other team was. Oh, that was AM a they needed to round out the conference at what was then, I think, 12, and Missouri made sense. Uh, since then, Missouri has lost its its center, its recruiting base, its culture, but that's another that's another Zoom for another time. <laughs> um, yeah, the Pac-12 is zeroing in on those two schools because it has been told to, the, to do the deal at once financially. It needs to add inventory, and so by doing that, they go from 75 games – Offering annually to 90 games. Now the question then becomes, what was the value of the 10 if you have to go to San Diego State and SMU to get to get you know the money you want? Um, I can't answer that question right now. I think it'll come out, but I think it explains where the where the Pac-12 is right now. They have uh, whatever for whatever reason how they've handled this. Uh, the value of the conference is significantly lower than they thought it was uh, it, at one time. Uh, There's industry scuttlebutt out there that they themselves threw out a number of 500 million. Hey, we think we're worth 500 million to like an ESPN. And they were laughed out of the room. Um, You know, 50 million as a a base price for schools that just lost USC and UCLA is ridiculous. So it's less about, to me, it's less about if they get the same number as the Big 12. It's about visibility. It's about sustainability at this point. And I think Brett, your mark in the Big Twelve. A, a lot of this now is just sitting back and waiting for some of these schools to shake loose and maybe get nervous and call him and say, "Hey, we don't have a deal. We're significantly down the line. We're not. A, we're about to go to 16 months before our contract expires. We don't have anything done yet. Do you have room for us?" I, I think that's his play right now.
2: Do you feel like any specific region of the Pac-12 is more likely to depart based on the conversations you're having? If are there schools, as Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah? Is it the Bay Area? Where, where are you getting the most disruption from? Well, we know the names,
3: don't we? I mean, the four-corner schools were, you know, on, on the Big 12's plate initially in July when uh, USC and UCLA happened. Uh, I think some combination of those could be in there. But you have to remember, if if there's a crack in the solidarity Or a weakness, or any of these other schools leave. I think Oregon and Washington have to look out for their best interests. And what does that mean? Look, they—I know Washington has been in touch with the Big Ten, and it's been quite a few months since they have been. So they're interested. The question there would be: Is is the Big Ten interested in them? And I think since the departure of Kevin Warren, I don't think they are. So I think for for Oregon and and Washington. I think these are, these are dicey times. Um, You know, do they, would they want to give the big 12 a call? Uh, The big 12 would welcome them in with open arms. That's the two best uh, football brands left in that league. It's not Utah, Colorado, Arizona, or Arizona State. It's those two. And the big 12 would absolutely love it. Let me say this again, because that's what we're talking about. Brett Yormark wants a presence in in the, the Pacific time zone, whether it's Gonzaga, whether it's any of the schools we just talked about, to fill out his Saturday football roster, have games, Big 12 games from noon, 3:30 prime time, then late night, basically 10, 10:30 Eastern time, which the Big Ten and the SEC don't even have. So the Big 12 would have that if they can do that, um, you know, do do some more expansion. Is there a
2: time frame that you're anticipating if expansion is to occur with the big 12? Like what, what type of a time frame are we dealing with? Does it have to well, be done the yeah. next two
3: years? Yeah, yeah. I think it would happen uh, sooner rather than later, because again, I think he, right. Your marks waiting to see what the PAC 12 deal is. I think the PAC 12, I have been saying for a while, I think it's going to, they're going to do a deal in the first quarter, which would mean right about, um, Or the first third of the year, right about the the final four, uh, April first thereabouts, and so they would just wait and go back from there because now they've got a deal. First, you know the problem with the big with the Pac-12 is they may be doing this backwards. They may be expanding first and then presenting the twelve to whatever entity is going to to buy this or bid on this, which is very uh, highly. Irregular in this yeah. sort of thing. I, I I can't think of another conference that has done that. Um, they've all been had contracts in place. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it would be sooner rather than later. It was described to me that Brett Yormark wants to be very aggressive in this in this stance.
2: Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports does a fabulous job covering college football. Is with us on BYU Sports Nation, Dennis. Let's say the Pac-12 does add San Diego State and SMU. Should they feel safe at that point? that you're talking about the Pac-12? Yeah, just, yeah, let's say, yeah, the Pac-12. Should they feel safe? uh, Yeah, I I mean, I
3: don't know if the word is safe. I mean, as I told you, I think that's what they have to be at right now to satisfy, let's say, a streamer who maybe is looking for more inventory than value. Because right now in the industry, I keep being told that uh, the streaming giants, they want tier one content. OK, what is tier one content? Well, it's Thursday night football. It's the NFL. Um, even you, you can even look at the Apple deal with MLS, not exactly a, a front burner sport, but they bought it for 10 years. Um, they're going all in and trying to cultivate that sport. College football has not been done uh, in any way at all in a big streaming uh, space yet. ESPN Plus is doing it. They're trying to grow that, grow that subscription base. And don't be surprised if, if a bunch of Pac-12 stuff shows up there. But they've only got 24 million subscribers. Mm. And that's about double what the Pac-12 networks had alone. I don't think anybody in that conference wants to put most of their stuff um, on, on streaming. But that's what I'm told. It would be significantly more than 50% of their games, whether it's 75 or 90 on a streaming giant, whether it's Amazon, Apple, ESPN Plus. Um, So to say, would would they be satisfied with that? I think the word is, would they survive with that? And that's what they're being told right now that they have to do.
2: I know it's very difficult to project how much a streaming deal would be worth and assessing the moving parts in the Pac-12. We've learned that the Big 12 is essentially going to be a little under $32 million per school, which frankly is really good with losing Texas and Oklahoma. What do you anticipate the number will be for from the PAC-12? Well,
3: I think the fact that it's lasted this long is why we don't know. Um, I think the projections have been 30 to 35 million. I'm being told by some that that's optimistic. Mm. I was told by some it was as low as 21 million. And they again. The reason why this is extended out so far is now the Pac-12 considering expansion first, or expansion at all, instead of doing a deal with just ten teams because they're finding out the value in in a, a an atmosphere where you know you have one school of thought where well they're they're the only major conference on, on you know that's that's left a bit on. Well, guess what? The streamers don't care. You know what else is left a bit on? a <laughs> uh, uh, UFC um nascar i think the nba contract is coming up so they're not not looking at this as the last college football buy they're looking at well here's the tier one content i just i just talked to you about which is bigger and better than what you can get from the pac-12 so again i don't think the 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 money is there that they want and that's that's why they're extending out so far so we'll see i mean that's an open-ended question
2: Great stuff again from Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports. Uh, We'll finish up with some Big 12 questions. Dennis, with the early departure of Texas and Oklahoma in 2024, how does that impact the landscape of college football? And primarily, how does it affect the Big 12 and their own stability?
3: Yeah, no, it's, look, I think both parties were motivated to get things done, get something done. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma and the Big 12, they get a windfall of cash, $100 million that will uh, either be distributed to the members or used to entice uh, some teams in expansion or both. Uh, I think that's both on the table. So that's a win for the big 12. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma didn't want to be here. We we don't have to rehash that. We know that they wanted to get out as soon as possible. Um, the next step for them is I think the SEC world is really interested to see how that schedule looks, the scheduling model, where I think the only thing we know for sure right now is that um you know, right now you have a, a an uneven schedule where a team like Georgia has never visited Texas A and M. That's what been over ten years since they've been, gotten in the league. So I think well, what they've said is every uh, of the sixteen teams, every team is going to be on each other's campus at least once in a four year period, which is huge with sixteen teams. That's almost mind boggling. You could accomplish something <laughs> like that in football. But that and maybe uh, one division in the SEC, I think every FBS conference is eventually going to do that. So that's the thing there. And then we will be following with uh, with sort of a soap opera's interest as to how they do uh, in football in, in Texas and Oklahoma. And they they certainly won't be running the roost in, in the SEC. We know that like they did in the Big 12. So, no, I you know, for the Big 12, it's onward and upward. They in 2024, they will have indeed the Big 12 indeed will have 12 teams for the first time in in 10 years, unless there is expansion. <laughs> hey, we might as well get
2: to the actual number at some point. Right. That's a great point you bring up. Um, and then I, I want to finish with this. Do you feel like Brett yourmark and the Big Twelve settled in any way with their TV contract because they were in such a hurry to lock things in?
3: Well, I, I think I don't think they settled. I, again I think there's a school of thought like, oh, they took less money just so they could get a deal done. Look, it was the deal that made sense for both sides. And there was no um Look again. What was out there was streaming about to take off, but not here yet. That that number was going to be bigger if they let this contract run out. So they took what they could get. And I think the biggest piece of it, they're getting more money than with these twelve schools, and they did with Texas and Oklahoma. That still boggles my mind. Yeah, where thirty one point six six million average per year. The conference, you know, the people I talk to in the conference think with. NCAA uh, college football playoff revenue, with NCAA tournament revenue, with bowl revenue, that they're going to come out something close to $50 million per year. And if you would have told people that again in July of 2021, that that was going to happen, you would have been laughed out of the room. So I think they're in pretty good shape. I mean, if we're going to talk about taking less for the dollar, I wonder where the Pac-12 is going to sit at right now. Um, Brett Yormark had a vision. He attacked it he went early i think it's going to pay off and, oh, but, and by the way it was a short term deal what was yeah. it 6 or 7 years so it's it's not a 15 year deal like the acc saddled with so he it's going to it's very nimble they're going to come out of that uh with a value at the time that's going to be you know bigger than it is now
1: that was one of our favorite interviews this week you're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio.
2: Don't we all love football and BYU football? I do love yeah. that. What's trending presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. It's time that we share some more love, Jerem. We've been waiting to do this for a while, and I can't think of a better day to do this with <laughs> love as the theme. hmm because we are sharing with all of you which Big 12 games that we love the most, and just to set this up, we're going to alternate our lists. So, Jerem, you'll start. You'll give your number one, and then if I'm a little bit different, then we'll talk about well, I would why say you that are a little bit different. Ranks differently. Okay, so. Anyway, we'll go from number one through number nine. You yeah. lead us off with your most loved game in the Big 12 football
0: schedule for BYU. What if I told you it was just the nine games in order? Would that be weird? Or Yeah, that's not my order. Okay, number one, the game I love the most. Okay. October 28th at Texas. Really? Just a return to 2011, 2014, the big kahuna in the league in terms of brand, the future SEC team. I love the game at Texas. Now we know Texas and Oklahoma are out after one year. Uh, this will be fun. We can play all the hurdle highlights of yep. Taysom Hill that our hearts could desire. Last time BYU uh, played there, they won. BYU leads the Series 4-1. Yeah, let's go. That's my, that's my favorite game. That's the game I love the most.
2: When you go with Texas, it's hard to argue. Based on the history that BYU has with that team, you're 4-1 in five games against Texas. There have just been some iconic moments, right? But it's not number one for me. It's the other big-name program that's one and done in Big 12 play, and it's senior night on November 18th for BYU, hosting Oklahoma. That Giving Oklahoma a November 18th game in Provo is quite the send-off by the Big 12, to, to send them to Lavella Stadium. The,
0: all loud on the Western Front in this
2: case. I've said this before. I feel like this will be an emotional experience to the max for BYU fans who have waited for so long for the ultra-meaningful November game. It does not get more meaningful than Oklahoma and their final Big 12 road football game in Provo on Senior Day for the Cougars. It's just we've been waiting forever for something like this. So Oklahoma is my number one. When it happens in the schedule, obviously the cachet they bring in, they've never been to Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Both games that BY has played against Oklahoma have been in neutral sites. I wish that they were sticking around for another year so BYU had a chance to return to Norman, and BoA fans could experience that road trip. But, hey, I'm not going to complain about a home finale against the Sooners.
0: They're going to see what are called mountains, uh, which would be very (laughs) exciting. I had Oklahoma number two, so what's your number two?
2: My number two. Okay, and I I get that people are going to be like, huh, I'm going with Kansas because it's the first Big 12 game. And I'm rating these a lot on just, like, the experience as a fan. Talk about emotional experiences with senior night. The first Big 12 game for those BYU fans that make the trip out to Lawrence, that's going to be something special. And I like it because I feel like it's a winnable game for BYU to open up Big 12. I would hope
0: so, Spence.
2: Yeah, September 23rd. If it's 23rd, not, we in trouble. September 23rd in Lawrence against a team that started last year 5-0. Kansas kind of created some buzz. Coach Leipold they is doing a great went downhill. job. quickly You know what? Kansas, Kansas, I feel like, is right on par with BYU. I feel like it's a fun, intriguing, even matchup with BYU being on the road.
0: On par. We would hope BYU's ahead.
2: If they're playing in, if they're playing in a neutral site, maybe. Or in Provo for sure. But on the road, Big Twelve opener.
0: Kansas had one good year. We're on we're on the same we're in the same plane as Kansas. Hey. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not alone
2: stink. I'm not. SP Plus has Kansas as a better football team than BYU too yeah.
0: no 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 they're expected to be better obviously they used to be the dregs they could quickly become that uh, they have a good quarterback Jalen Daniels but when Jalen Daniels got hurt different team they were not great yeah, they Cole, lost when he bunch. got hurt
2: BYU was a different team too
0: <laughs> yes but BYU, he was still playing and they were still the, you know they won four in a row at the end Kansas did not do that down the stretch they were terrible in the last half uh, I have at Kansas number three because of those reasons um it's the first, yeah, It's because it's the first game. Okay. Um, and it's a winnable game. Like, when you think, what are the games that BYU can win of those nine? Kansas is clearly one of those. Winnable game. And on the road. Like, on the road, that's probably the most, eh, at West Virginia, you'd like to think is the most winnable. But I wonder about motivations in November. What's the record? Um, long travel. What time is that game? When did BYU get, like, there's all these things, right, with the, the East Coast and whatnot. So we'll see. But at Kansas, yeah. Plus there's, there's some, uh, you know, revenge factor there from the 92 Aloha Bowl. Aloha Bowl, excuse me. I pronounce it like the city in Oregon. The, the Aloha. Aloha. Aloha Bowl okay. in 92, which is like the only football game that Greg has had to miss for a non-basketball reason ever, by the way. One of his kids was born that day. Oh, well, so, that's a, I guess that's yeah. a
2: reason that makes it work. And he was sidelined
0: um, that day. But anyway, okay, what's your number three?
2: Number three, surprisingly not Texas. I'm going with BYU's home opener in the Big 12 again. I based my list on experiences for fans, like the electricity of a Friday night Big 12 home opener.
0: Oh, I've Ben Franklin,
2: Cincinnati, back in Lavelle we're saying, but this time as a Big 12 foe. And since he's man, they've done a really nice job over the past. What two have they years. done? They've been incredible. <laughs> so they they bring in what I hope at that point is a. A national ranking. I hope they're nationally ranked and it's under the Friday night lights and BYU's got them for the Big 12 home opener. The Cougars run onto the field. Hopefully they've got some in the uh, pinings of Dave McCann, some Jets to fly over the stadium. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to happen on a Friday night, but we'll see. Has Dave confirmed that yet, their they're Jets? No, he has not confirmed that yet. He will soon. I'm I love hoping, I love I'm hoping jets. BYU is 3-1 and one when they open up home Big 12 play against Cincinnati. What
0: if I told you they will be? I would. They love will that. be. I would love that very much. It's a Men's Warehouse guarantee, Spence. Yeah, home opener for me. Yeah. Great great experience. Mine's hey. the same.
2: Oh, number 4, Cincinnati.
0: Cincinnati. Friday night, conference weekend, home opener Big yes. 12. Fantastic. It's going to be electric.
2: I have Texas at number 4. So the biggest difference we have in our list as far as you got Texas number 1, yeah. I got Texas number 4, probably because BYU and their fans have already had the chance to make that trip. Daryl K Royal Memorial Stadium twice. We're not in the
1: same league, but not Let's in the go. same league,
2: and it's, a, it's yeah. a finale. But Texas is still number four, very high on my list. Austin's going to be a great trip, great food, great culture, great game day buildup. That'll be a lot of fun for fans to attend on October 28th. All right, who do you have at number
0: five? At Oklahoma State. This is the regular really? season finale. Um, I I've surprised myself that this isn't higher. Um, uh, T Boone Pickens Stadium. Like this is going to be great. They, OSU is sitting there when Texas and Oklahoma leave as kind of that incumbent bigger dog, right, that's consistently top 25 and interesting. Last year, just 7-6, and six, but, like, they're pretty good, right? BYU's got a, some revenge sure. from uh, sure. not not only Tangerine Bowl, but Fiesta Bowl okay. in 74 and 76. So I haven't played since uh, your boy Gary Scheide and Gifford Nielsen were uh, suiting up for the Cougs.
2: This game is uh, lower on my list. I'll tell you the specific number in just a moment, but... I'll tell you the reasons I don't love this game as much as you. I don't love that BYU has to play at Oklahoma State a week after they play Oklahoma. I think that's really tough. And it's Thanksgiving weekend, so it loses a little bit of luster for BYU fans to be willing to travel. I don't think that the turnout is going to be quite Welcome as Welcome to
0: meaningful November games, people. Like, I know. Like every year on Thanksgiving weekend, you're going to play a game that matters. And BYU might be playing for bowl eligibility. We hope they've already secured it yeah. a week or two or three before. But there's a chance they've got to win this game to make I, it. It scares me a little bit, which is
2: why I don't love that game as much. I also wish that Baylor were in that spot, and that's impacting why Oklahoma State's lower on my list. Sure,
0: but if I told you that BYU wouldn't have Texas or Oklahoma, but got Baylor, it's not worth it to me. I, I'm I'm happy with sure. the schedule because no, I
2: just trade Oklahoma. BYU State got for Texas
0: and Oklahoma, and uh, after that, it's gravy. Because guess what? BYU's going to play Baylor almost every year.
2: I just want Baylor in the rivalry weekend. I feel like it just would make. So much sense, and the base is already there.
0: I don't care when a game is played anymore. Like the the, the hey, this game needs to be this week for the doesn't matter to me. It's just at some just point play the play game, him, yeah. play the game. And uh, let's be honest, let's play them earlier so that weather's not a deal in that. I, like when you play in Provo and a, there's a bunch of snow, it just changes. How you can execute.
2: What's style. weather like in Stillwater, Oklahoma in late November, I wonder? Or even in Waco, Texas, for that we, matter, if BYU were playing at Baylor. We're about to find November, out. Right? Um, Hopefully it, better than Provo. <laughs>
0: yeah. They're not at elevation <laughs> like, like this.
2: Yeah. So the game, it kind of scares me a little bit. I, the stadium's beautiful. I've been there. I've been Bans, the I'm scared of there. like
0: seven or eight Ooh. of those games. Okay. Like, <laughs> this, this is big boy football. Let's go.
2: My number six game. After a bye week at TCU. That's that's me too. Okay, so we're, yeah. we're At exactly the same. Is that the Defending
0: run- national uh runner up okay. in the, in the country. Crazy, right? No way they're as good. Definitely a, a game that hey, you can go in there and pull off an upset, but hopefully BYU is the TCU of the Big 12 and they uh yeah. obviously don't like the playoffs. Crazy. But make a run and be competitive and win eight plus. Yeah. Mid-
2: middle of the pack for me. Yeah, number yep. 6. Yep. BYU's played that they've been in that stadium a few times before. But again, not as a member of the Big 12. And at, not coming off a, a season where TCU is in the National Championship game.
0: What's funny is, uh, we'll get used to this, but just acknowledge, if we had at TCU on the schedule this last year, we'd be like, oh, that's like the third or fourth best game. And we're like, oh, it's number six. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, that's, I, and maybe we love Arkansas more than some of these. Uh, I do. I, I'd put Arkansas in the top four. At Arkansas? Top yeah. four on the schedule. Like to, I, I haven't thought about it, but like, this is pretty fun to just be like, yeah, this team is the seventh worst game on the schedule. Yeah, listen to that, and it, it's a great game. Like it would have been seriously. top five, four traditionally. For that, BYU. That's
2: incredible. Bring up a great point. Yeah. like at listen, the places BYU is going: Arkansas, Kansas, Texas, West Virginia, TCU, Oklahoma State. It's awesome. So much. Fantastic. Fun. Okay, what do you got? At number seven. Seven. I have Texas Tech. Okay. Yep. Home game. Home, Oct- home game. October twenty-first. Okay, I've got Iowa State, so okay. a different home game, but in November. I'm, yeah. And I'm probably
0: putting more stock into meaningful November home games for BYU. Let's see, Texas Tech, BYU and Texas Tech have played one time. I cannot recall when this one time was. <sighs> it, was it in the 70s? Okay, 40s. Okay, <laughs> if it, it was pre-Lavelle. Yeah. Yeah. There are yeah. some weird games where you're like, sorry, what? BYU opened the 72 season with Kansas State and BYU won 13-7? Or so, there's just some weird I can't
2: wait like. for the open. Texas Tech-BYU, a matchup 80 years in the
0: making. They've waited for you. The Robert and I game. (laughs) Yeah, the the Mike Leach game.
2: Okay, so we alternate different home games, number seven. At Oklahoma State's number eight for me. I have Iowa State. Okay.
0: Yeah. Which, Iowa State had its uh, kind of flash in the pan COVID year there. Your boy Brock Purdy for a couple of years did nice. Um, Yeah, they were good, but uh, they've traditionally not been that good. Outside of, like, Brock Purdy. Not great. Maybe Kansas will say that. Outside of Jalen Daniels, not great. And let's be honest, they weren't that great last year. They were just way better. Yeah. So we're like, oh, maybe they're, that's a tougher game than we thought. Because like eight months ago, we would have been like, oh, uh, Kansas, automatic win. Easy. Uh, Keaton Slovis can play left-handed and win that game. No. That's going to be a game where it's like, okay, you got to show up. I
2: just realized I don't think I gave you my number five, Morgantown at West Virginia.
0: Oh, at West Virginia five. Why do you yeah. like that one so much? I just you you like, love, like, uh, raccoon hats or something? <laughs> <There's>, Davey, <laughs> Davey th- there are
2: some storylines at play here when Keaton Slobos returns to West yes, Virginia. Yes,
0: there are. January. I believe he doesn't like West Virginia, <laughs> if I recall a certain clip from last year. He
2: played in the backyard brawl and yeah. won it as Pittsburgh's quarterback. So I, I – and I like the trip <laughs> into a unique place, Morgantown – it's it's a it's a different place. And I like it. You can say that about any city. West
0: right.
2: Uh yeah. So Morgan, also I want to visit the home state of our friend Chase Fisher. There you I've go. I've never been to West Virginia.
0: My sister lives in West Virginia. I gotta go at some point, you know? Yeah.
2: I hear it's beautiful. I hear it's an incredible game day atmosphere, and I'm sure they're gonna be super welcoming to Keaton's Lobas.
1: The best of BYU Sports Station will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation.
0: Cougar Whip Round presented by Marist, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. As mentioned, yesterday afternoon, the Pac-12 issued the following joint statement. The 10 Pac-12 universities look forward to consummating successful media rights deals in the very near future based upon positive conversations with multiple potential media rights partners over the past few weeks. We remain highly confident in our future growth and success as a conference, and united in our commitment to one another. Is this the most? There's nothing to see here, Stamen. Ever in front of a burning building. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yes. I just I don't feel like the pac needed to do this unless there actually was something wrong. Like, th- there's there's a problem. People are worried. Like, did the conference feel like they needed to do this because? Because the athletic has and, been
0: reporting, and people, the yeah, like, yeah.
2: yeah, there, there are articles out there, and so it's like, well, it, it just seems defensive. Like, I don't know, we're it's good, very we're good, we're good. Yeah, I don't think they needed to do this because now it just casts a more negative light on them. I think by releasing that statement.
0: Yeah, they, obviously, uh, you know, what kind of deal they get, how much it's worth, is it worth it for Oregon and Washington stay in the league? Is it better for them to perhaps bounce for the Big Twelve? Do they still think that the Big Ten is an option? Are the four corners in play for the Big 12 at that point? Does it become Mountain West Plus if they leave? There's a lot of questions still to be answered about that league. Big 12 feels like it's in a better spot than it was pre-TV deal because uh, they got that locked up and perhaps are enticing enough at some point if it doesn't work in the Pac-12 for some of those schools.
2: Uh, I think that the point that Dennis Dodd brought up is pretty apt, and that is if you're going to SMU and San Diego State potentially as a way to lock in a better deal.
0: Inventory.
2: It's just you just need games now. So like yeah, over yeah. it's inventory over quality, and that's never a good position to be in. So I'm int- I'm highly intrigued to see what they do and what type of a streaming deal they get.
0: And in the end, this is a BY Rashita thing for Cougar fans and youth fans. That's what it is. <laughs> I don't care what the Pac-12 does but we all do as it pertains to BYU and Utah and those conferences.
2: Well, strangely, Big 12 fans are in on it too. It's Big 12 versus Pacquiao. Yeah. It's not just BYU versus Utah.
0: More than a truck stop, I'll tell you <laughs> that.
2: Jerem, you're super excited about this, I'm sure. I
0: love this next
2: one. NIT Bracketology. Oh, it's my favorite thing this time of year. Currently projects BYU making the NIT as an unseeded team, mind you. They would face Utah Speaking of BYU Utah in their opening round game, is this a realistic best case scenario for BYU basketball's postseason?
0: No, we've already seen this game. BYU won it. Uh, I would prefer a P6 game like USC, Michigan, Wake Forest, Florida, Wisconsin uh, would be more interesting. So one of those other teams yeah. that's on the bubble but like, aren't going like to get it. Like if I told you BYU played at Michigan in the uh, Great. NIT, awesome. That sounds fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that'd be. That'd be I'm more game.
0: interested in that than BYU Utah, especially up in the Huntsman. And that's
2: that's realistic, right? Yeah, BYU is an unseeded, so like five, six, seven, You're or eight. You're going seed. on
0: the road to a top four seed.
2: Yeah, give, give me somebody in the Big Ten. That'd be a fun game.
0: In a recent interview, Andy Reid said the name of the play that scored twice for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl is Corndog. Mm-hmm. Great uh, Ryan Chubb and the rubber band song. Should BYU have a Cougar Tail play, and what should it be? Uh, yes. In fact, do they? Do we know that they don't
2: have a play called Cougar Tail? That's some
0: fun images on some of the play call boards. We're
2: going to have to ask Aaron Roderick about it. Maybe they already have one in play. But if I were to pick Cougar Tail as a play, it would be that double reverse flea flicker that A-Rod has run three or four times that typically ends up in a big play or a touchdown.
0: Boise State uh, was a good one. You know, it wasn't A-Rod, but before that, Wisconsin. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think it should be the Philly special, the throwback to the quarterback.
2: The throwback to the quarterback. Yeah. Cougar tail. Yep, cougar
0: tail. All All right.
1: right. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Shep and I had the opportunity to speak with, Steve Young,
2: uh, from uh, his carpool situation, <laughs> <in> <laughs> he's the just Silicon a dad. Valley. He's just a dad. He's just doing his dad thing. Had a fantastic conversation on topic. Our Andy Reid, the Super Bowl, Steve's increasing social media game, and of course his thoughts on BYU and the Big Twelve. Two on one with Steve Young earlier this morning. Steve, I need to first and foremost compliment you on your increased role on social media. You've stepped up your social media game, and it is appreciated.
4: Uh, (laughs) So funny, my kids have been making fun of me for a long time. Uh, In fact, you know, I, I, you know, Dad, you don't do anything, and you know, and I was like, it's better. My life is better. I don't want to have the hassle, and and but then I I they gave me such a hard time. It's like, okay, let me just peck away at a little bit. And, uh, so then I, I didn't ever how an Instagram. So I got one and they're like, dad, it's embarrassing. You only have a thousand followers. I have more followers than you do. It's embarrassing. And I'm like, Well, I don't know what to do. What do you do, buy them? Like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) So maybe you guys can help me get some followers so my kids don't make fun of me so much. Jeez. All right, we're on the Steve Young,
2: follow Steve Young on Instagram campaign today. I don't
5: don't think it's going to take too much to ask people to follow Steve Young. I I have a feeling that you're going to see an uptick in followers pretty quick.
4: Well, I'm taking a beating at home, so feel free. But it's been, (laughs) it has, the reach is a little bit, like, alarming and weird. And I don't know what to say about it because, I'm in church and it's Super Bowl. No, the championship weekend and the 49er game is on. And I, uh, I got a taping, so I'll get it later. And I check the phone and, uh, I see that Josh Johnson just threw a pass for the 49ers. I'm like, what, what is going on? (laughs) And then I, I, I do a little quick check. Uh, and, uh, And, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. And then Josh Johnson gets hurt. And uh, and I'm in the second hour, and Josh Johnson gets hurt. And so I think, you know what? I'm going to tell people I'm in the parking lot warming up. I'm ready to go. You know, So I I do that thinking, uh, you know, I don't think anything of it. So a couple days later, a buddy of mine goes, hey, you know that thing went viral. I'm like, "Uh, okay, great. He goes, yeah, two and a half million views. I'm like. That is nuts. And then for the next two days, everyone I saw, everyone in my life, talked about, "Hey, I heard you're in the parking lot warming (laughs) up." And I thought, I just, I thought, I that's when social media hit me. Like, my gosh, you really have been, like, because there is some power—not power, but some, I don't know, something in it that really could be kind of interesting. So anyway, let's not belabor that. But my kids are. Still making fun of me. (laughs) I
2: love it. Steve (laughs) Young is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Just just for the record, how many plays could you have gone if you had actually transitioned from the parking lot to the game?
4: In this offense, and I'm not kidding you, in this offense with Kyle calling plays and the bubble screens and the slip screens and the RPOs, like I know for sure I could get off the RPO and throw the slant. Uh, I might be with a, a little, a little, little space, be able to throw, you know, something a little bit further. I mean, you could get some plays <laughs> in. There, the, the, the defense would, the defense would creep. I, I mean, they'd sort of say, "Hey, look, this guy can't get anything going." But there could be some plays run. I mean, I can guarantee you they could. I when they couldn't, when brought, poor Brock came back and couldn't throw the football, I was like. I know I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) Steve, uh,
5: let's talk a little Super Bowl. Obviously, you were there, and, like, as a Chiefs fan, I was extremely happy that the Chiefs won. You certainly know a lot about the Super Bowl. You've been to many Super Bowls. You've won Super Bowls. What did it mean to you to be there and experience that with Andy Reid, who you're super close with?
4: You know, I I don't do – I mean, I do Monday night during the season, uh, and the only thing I do on Sunday is that – post-game, and I, and I do it mostly because it's the final say of the season. I really enjoy that, but it's doubly positive for me when it's Andy, and it's been twice now. And I think the second time was – he. you could tell even he was – he he knew the impact and the import of the moment and what he was accomplishing. And um, there's rarefied air now, and it kind of solidifies his coaching and his tree and his – The thing about Andy that made me somewhat emotional at that moment was that Andy has changed the game. Bill Walsh started it. Bill Walsh was somebody that wanted to pay it forward. He wanted to give his assistant coaches all of his knowledge, all of who he was. He poured it out to those guys so that they could be successful in the future. And he did that for Mike Holmgren. And Mike had the same spirit because of Bill and gave it to Andy and Andy has done it in a more unique way because Andy's so kind. And that kindness, that Andy in the middle of the NFL, the rough and tumble, mosaic law, eye for an eye environment of the NFL, where most coaches end up with a big stick and just start hitting people. He's always a guy with tools. And he's always, you know, and Travis Kelsey came on. And I said, "What? Well, give me something about Andy. He says, he's, he, he gives us, he inspires us. Every day he comes in with new ideas. He's always thinking about something new and some innovative. He's all and, and, I, and I thought to myself, here's the most innovative mind in the NFL. Here's the most successful coach in the NFL. And here's the kindest guy in the NFL. And I just think that's the thing that people don't realize is that you can be excellent and kind. You can hold two things that don't necessarily... Go together. A lot of times, excellence means, then you're famous, and then there's hubris, and then there's uh, the inevitable, um, you know, self-absorption. And like Andy's just kind, and I think that's changing. The guys that are getting jobs today are all these young guys that have been influenced by Andy Reid, mm. and it's changing the. It's changing the NFL. It's changing how players are treated. It's changing how they're coached and how they're dealt with, and how they're inspired. And so I feel like there's a lot going on when you ask me that question with Andy Reid. Steve Young is with us on BYU
2: Sports Nation. You took a picture with Andy and Tammy after the Super Bowl. Another thing that went viral, if you will, and BYU fans especially took hold of that. What was that moment like for you to be with Andy and Tammy celebrating the Super Bowl championship for the Chiefs?
4: Well, I've been with him a long time. Everyone knows that he was my JV coach when we went to Air Force in the JV game, and it was my turn. and We rotated the three quarterbacks: Jim Kimball, Mark Howgo, and me. Rotated the starts, and uh, and and it was my turn to start in, at Air Force. And I remember him walking in the locker room before the game. And he goes, "Mark Halgo's dad's moved, flown in from Minnesota, and so he's here in the in the stands. Is there any way you'd let him start?" And I said, no. <laughs> I guess Mark Halgo's dad's going to watch me play. I think that's awesome. And, uh, and so that's where Andy and I started. That's where we, that's where we've been. That's how long, you know, we've been together. And and Tammy and the ups and downs of their lives and the challenges of their lives. And so that was unfair for me to be there in that moment with all of those years and with Tammy to know what their lives have been like. It wasn't just like some coach coming by for an interview. It's like I've, I've been part of their life for a long, long time. And so that's why it was, you know, kind of triple special.
5: All right, Steve, if we get a chance to ask Andy this, we're going to ask him the same question I'm about to ask you. But we were having a discussion on the show the other day about the, the best Cougar <laughs> to ever be in the NFL. And we, we agreed it was you. Andy was second do you agree with
4: what we've uh, we've come down to well there's a there should be a coaching uh, uh you know kind of competition and a player competition okay you know what I mean because like they're they're, they're, they're they're different they're different and uh and Andy man I I, I mean he's starting to the the I didn't. I, my biggest issue is that I I sat I sat some years and frustrational frustrational. Oh, that's that's good, <laughs> frustration years. Uh, and so you know, Andy's he's just he's running the he's running the clock out here. I mean, he he could with his innovative mind and how he's staying fresh with the game and how he's inspiring the game. He he could be a Tom Brady kind of figure here. He could be seventy eight still coaching. I mean, yeah. I I think it's possible. So. He's going to – it's fun. I, I, I. But also I could see him retiring. Like I could see him kind of, you know, kind of, you know, not playing. So, uh, but anyway, awesome conversation. Sounds like a barroom kind of conversation. <laughs> you
2: guys. It's right there with who had the better team, 83 or 84 at BYU, Steve.
4: So, you know, again. Well, I, that's not a competition. <laughs> that's not a competition. I don't even want to hear about it. You I know, would I, do. It's you. It's 83, man. Oh, I see. is Gerald McNeil running over me in the back. You know, was, uh, puppy turns, 16 punt returns for a thousand yards. Hey, speak, uh, speaking I do, of I you guys, like my background, my my background. You know, my Toyota Sienna. This is my this is my swagger wagon. Bro. It looks so great. This is how I roll.
2: Hey, you're doing the dad thing, and I appreciate that. I, I do the same thing, so I'm I'm right there with you. I
5: just love the fact that all these people that have been walking behind you have no idea that they're about to be on national television. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, no, this is Silicon Valley. This is, they are, this is, they're not focused on sports here. That's they true. Know, they, it, this they, is true. They're, they're just asking where Zuckerberg lives. Where's Zuckerberg lives? <laughs> down, down the street. Go get him.
2: All right, Steve. Uh, speaking of BYU football, they're making the transition to Power 5 status. They're in the Big 12. They're going to have 10 Power 5 games next year. What's the key, in your opinion, to handling a Power 5 schedule like BYU has never seen before?
4: Well, it's, it, it's, the roots of it are in recruiting. Um, we have, you know, and this, uh, I, uh, Tom and I and Kalani, everybody, everybody's all in in trying to make sure that we improve our recruiting prowess. Um, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, it's been a slide into where we're not getting the LDS athletes in Utah. We're not getting the LDS athlete, athletes in the West. And that's just something that we can't abide. So uh, I think there's a real effort to make those improvements, um, the development plans that that players want and need. Um, I think there's a lot of things that Tom's doing in the last six months, getting ready for this battle and honing our game and getting it ready. Um, I'm happy about it and really excited. And that's where it's gonna happen. Now, when you get to NIL stuff, you know, I don't suspect that BYU is going to be the ones that are going to be paying Arch Manning a million, two million dollars. So there's a capitulation to that. We got to figure out how to get through that. People here locally at Stanford are trying to figure that out because they're not—they don't want to chase around that as well. So there's some, you know, some changes still afoot. You know, the idea that the Pac-12 might or Pac-10 now might create some environments where they that disappear. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's still in the mix. But we're set, we're solid, and we've got to recruit. That's the bottom line. And um, everything else will kind of come out of that as long as A-Rod's around calling plays. And if A-Rod gets a head coaching job somewhere, I hope we're, we're, we are training the next Mike McDaniel or yeah. you know those guys that left the 49ers for years um, that are still leaving the 49ers every year. It seems like we have to find people who can call the plays, teach the position, and make sure that we are, no matter what, in the Big 12, throwing the ball like BYU always had. That's how yes. we have to live. That's how we have to die. And so, as long as we're doing that and we're recruiting really well, we'll be in the mix. But if we can't recruit better, um, then we don't want to be in the bottom rung. You know, kind of the the guys that you know that are four and eight in in Big 12 schedule. We don't want to be. Well, that's not where we want to be. We weren't there in independence. And uh, we don't want to be in the Big 12. So, um, and I think there's, there's a lot to love about, you know, everyone knows that BYU and what we can be. And I think it's about time to go find the full measure of who we can be. I think it'd be super cool. And there's a lot of alumni that are fired up about it and trying to help. And I think that Tom and Kalani are ready to go do it. So let's recruit, let's help everyone. Like the whole community needs to help recruiting. Um, I don't know how that works, but, We've got to be, you know, we we have a mission, a worldwide missionary effort. We need a worldwide recruiting effort for BYU football, too.
2: <laughs> All right, Steve, we appreciate the time. Live from his Toyota Sienna Swagger Wagon. Nobody does it like <laughs> Steve Young in the Silicon Valley. Eight seats,
4: look at that,
2: eight <laughs> seats, 14 cup holders. I love it, man. Hey, uh, let's make this a monthly conversation because we still need to talk about Jaron Hall and Zach Wilson and Keaton Slovis Slovis, and a bunch of other stuff. So let's do this again soon. Oh,
4: wow. Yeah, (laughs) we do have a lot to talk about. You're right. I forgot about that. Well, (laughs) we covered the big ones. Andy, we covered Andy and the Big 12. Yes, sir. We'll we'll, we'll have time. I'm around. And, hey, look, just call me. I'm in the car. pull over. (laughs) And how you doing? (laughs) And uh, we can do it anytime, anywhere. You got it. Thanks so (laughs) much, Steve. Steve.
1: The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Cougar Whip
2: Round, presented by Marist, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner.
0: Friend of the program, Big Game Boomer, ranked the loudest college football and basketball stadium duos with Lavelle the Stadium and the Marriott Center with BYU at four. Wow. Should Brigham be higher on the list or are you cool with four?
2: I'm okay with number four, especially when you look at some of the places they rank higher than. Uh, yeah, number four is very fair. I mean, behind Jordan Hare of Auburn and, I mean, Lane Stadium. Like, these are epic, epic places. So, yeah, top
0: five is great for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with it. You know what's even louder than the Marriott Center? The Marriott Center. Oh. That is... By far the loudest venue in the
2: okay. Center is pretty good today. We still need to have our show in the summer where it's just dedicated to correcting things a whole show. that are constantly a said <laughs> the wrong way. As it pertains to BYU athletics and the opponents oh, they yeah. take on.
0: No, it's a segment. We'll do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jerem, Lauren Gustin is 17 rebounds away from the West Coast Conference single season rebounding record. Yeah, dude. Will she clinch that record tonight at Santa Clara?
0: What's funny is the last four she's averaging exactly 16 of her. Huh. and against Santa Clara a her season average she had 15. Uh, will she get 17 tonight? I think yeah. I think she will. I think she, will too. she gets exactly the prime number of 17. Santa
2: Clara made a bunch of shots in an upset win in Provo the last time they took on they're BYU. Gonna, they're going to miss. They're going to miss a few more shots tonight. They're going to miss those. They, they they fire up a ton of shots. They're going to miss a few more. Lauren's going to have opportunities for 17 rebounds.
0: Do the rumors and stories of the Pac-12 uh, struggles to secure a TV deal validate BYU's entrance into the Big 12 in the direction of the conference? And why is it absolutely?
2: <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, I, to a degree, but I'm almost hesitant to put, to add more attention to the rumors and struggles. Why? Uh, I, because I feel like the Pac-12 is going to come up with a deal. It's probably not going to be as much money as they want, but they're going to have a deal in place. It'll probably be like 25 or 27 million have a, per school. Yeah, have a deal. Great, a deal. great. Deal. People are like, oh, they're not going to get a deal and they're going to disband and the Big 12 is going to poach six teams away and the conference is going to go away.
0: Well, Oregon and Washington do have to assess, wait, is it worth locking this in for a few years or not? Should, I'm, just pushing for more, I'm just
2: pushing for more money if I'm one of those two schools. Like, hey, give us a bigger share. You know we're the big dogs.
0: We know what that does to the rest of the teams in the league. <laughs> um, and so does Voice State. So I'm not sure that's a good uh, idea there. Yeah, like, be, like yes, Alabama it validates BYU, a, though. Alabama and Georgia don't have a bigger share, you see. Ohio State and Michigan don't have a bigger share. It's not a thing you do, I don't think. Jeremy, it's great to be in the Big 12. Yes, it is. It's great.
1: The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week. Here on the best of BYU Sports Nation.
2: How about this, BYU Sports Nation? I know you're not going to like this. The SP SP Plus numbers, rather, from Bill Connolly and ESPN are out. And if you watched the show yesterday, you heard us make reference to it. But let's bring it up again just to uh, stir up the emotion, shall we? Just to aggravate you further. BYU, out of all 14 teams in next year's Big 12, ranked dead last in the SP Plus numbers. Number 62. And if you're wondering, well, what the heck is SP Plus? It's a combination of... What you did last year, what you bring back in returning production, what they're projecting you to do this year based on who comes back and how they did it last year, BYU is 62nd. The next closest team is Kansas at number 57. It also takes into account recruiting, Mm -hmm. Jason, and recruiting history. Mind you, BYU was number 25 in this metric last year, so they are 37 spots lower. How much do you read into this drop and the SP-plus numbers overall, especially the fact that BYU was last out of the 14 Big 12 teams? Yeah, like I, I certainly did not
5: expect to see BYU end up where they did in terms of the other Big 12 teams. That, that was honestly quite surprising to me that they came in dead last in terms of the rankings. But I want to go to something that you just said, because you mentioned that last year BYU was 25th in this. Okay. Would you say that BYU lived up to the 25th preseason SP rankings? Eight and five would not qualify Ag- as yes. number 25. Yes. We got super excited. It would be, look. We we couldn't come out here and, and say because last year when this happened we were touting the SP plus BYU's oh, yeah. twenty-five like and we put so much stock in it. We now can't say okay well they don't mean
2: anything because last year we put a lot of stock because it was pro BYU. Yeah, here's the thing. BYU was number one in the country in returning production. Twenty-fifth yes. overall in this yes. metric. Number one in returning production. And I honestly believe that's what's playing
5: the most into this ranking. Now, I also believe BYU has added a lot of talent. I, I will be shocked if, when it, all is said and done, BYU is dead last in the Big 12. I am not expecting that at all. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying that they're going to be a top two or top three team. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that they can't do it. I'm just, I'm, but I'm not saying okay. that. I will be so surprised if, at the end of the year, they turn out
2: to be dead last in the Big 12. I just don't expect that. Let me quantify why this is not that big of a deal, okay? First of all, there are 130-plus college football teams now. It feels like there are a few more joining each year. In fact, BYU is going to take on a first-time FBS foe in Sam Houston State this year, who are making the jump from the lower division up. So that's not an FCS game, by the way. I know some BYU fans are like, why is BYU hosting two FCS teams? Sam Houston State is not an FCS team. They have made the jump up to Division 1 FBS football. BYU is 62nd out of 130 plus. Yes. Division 1 FBS teams. That's still top half yes. in the SP+ projection. I know it's last in the Big 12, but it doesn't really matter that much because of what you just pointed out. BYU was number 25 last year and number 1 in returning production overall and it was uh 8 and 5 because of you picked the reason. I know a lot of you are going to lean toward, well, injuries and lack of depth because of those injuries. BYU did put together a four-game win streak to close out the season, making everyone feel a little bit better, but the Cougars started a fourth-string quarterback in the bowl game, Jason. A fourth-string quarterback. Soljay J Mayava got it done <laughs> in New Mexico. It's only happened once before with Tom Young. Steve Young's little brother, who started as the fourth string guy against Kansas, of all teams, in the 1992 Aloha Bowl. It got that bad for BYU. So, yeah, injuries in play. I'm telling you all this because rewind to 2020 to 2021 in that transition. Zach Wilson, gone, number two overall pick. And Dax Milne, his number one receiver, gone. Brady Christensen, the, the core of that offensive line, gone, third round pick. BYU had five draft picks after that. Unbelievable 2020 COVID-based season. And they weren't bringing back much production. I mean, their numbers were super low in this projection. We were all like, oh, man, what the heck is BYU going to get? Well, they do, Jason. Uh, they brought back Tyler Algier. Yeah. And he set the single-season rushing record, and Jaron Hall was introduced, and BYU goes undefeated against the Pac-12. They go 10-3, and and they're a top-15 team for much of the season. So, again... I don't know how much I buy into the SP plus projection just because BYU has been so wildly inconsistent. Yeah. In fact, it feels like over the past few seasons, they've gone exactly they've the been opposite.
5: opposite. Yes, the opposite of what this statistic, when it comes out, look, and, and look, everybody these days, it's all about the the analytics. And so I, I get why this stuff is out there. And again, it, it does us no good to completely dismiss it because it comes from somewhere. Sure, sure. But – exactly what you said, for whatever reason, it has not been very accurate in determining what was going to happen for BYU, both positively and negatively. And look, honestly, for me, I know how I would answer this. What's the indicator that you look at most in trying to determine ultimate
2: success for an upcoming season? What do you look at? It starts at the quarterback position, typically. But you need, like, at least one superstar skill position player And you probably need the core of an offensive line. Those are the two things that I'm looking at to help me determine if I believe my team or in BYU's case, the BYU football team will be good. They'll be mediocre or maybe they'll be below average. So it starts with a star skill position player. And then do you have an offensive line? Can you win on offense in the trenches? And BYU has been really solid in those scenarios for the past three years. Think about it. Okay. In 2020, they brought back Zach Wilson and Dax Milne and Tyler Algier was starting to burst onto the scene. The weekend schedule helped a little bit with that and kind of pushing BYU back into the national limelight. But then in 2021, even though they lost those five draft picks, you bring back Algier. Jaron Hall, we felt pretty good about, but then BYU has Puka Nakua start to take on a large role. So there were multiple star skill position players even this year with Hall and Nakua leading the charge really pretty solid on offense when they were healthy how many games were they like completely healthy though Jason very rarely maybe game one (laughs) I I know I hate it I hate it because you wonder like well what if what if that's the case Uh, I so I think for me it starts with you got to have some just gamers like at the skill positions, and then you have a good offensive line? See, I, I think my answer is probably more big picture
5: than, than that specific. I do look at returning production. And the only reason that I look at returning production is because I think it helps you get a baseline. It, it doesn't. It's not the end-all, be-all in determining success, as we've seen. And last year was a perfect example of that. Okay. BYU number one in the country in returning production. It did not equate to a double-digit win season. No. It didn't. We thought, we thought it was certainly capable of doing that, and we put a lot of stock in that, but okay. it didn't. So I think looking at what the people that are returning did last year helps get a baseline. Okay. Then from there on, you can start kind of maybe get diving into it a little bit more. But, but I, I think looking at what's coming back, the production they had last year, talent standpoint, I think that's a pretty good... Early-on evaluator on what to expect. But again, with what BYU has coming back, it's certainly not the 80% that we had last year to talk about. But there's still a ton of talent on this team. And I understand that you you lost some really key offensive linemen to the transfer portal. You obviously have have had your starting quarterback move on. But BYU has brought in a quarterback that we all certainly believe and hope can pick up right where Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall left off and find himself in the NFL draft in another season. So I, I, I think that, for me, that's kind of the indicator as where you start with a baseline. But again, I will I will rehash what I said before. And I think what you said is is, a, is something people need to keep in the back of their mind. 62, we're not talking about 62 out of 70. No, no. We're no. talking about... Close to, what, 130, whatever it 132 is. 132 right yeah, now? Yeah, 130, 132. So you're talking about the, the upper half of college football. This is just for the Big 12. And again, I will say it again. I, I do not expect BYU to be dead last in the Big 12 this
2: year. I do not. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you some specific numbers here. Okay, so we, we mentioned the number 25. BYU was 25th in the SP Plus going into last season. Okay. And then I said, well, what did they have the year before? They were low 30s when Bill Connolly released them in February of 2021. And they, they were adjusted to number 31 going into uh, the 2021 season. Going into the 2020 season, BYU was 53rd. So do you feel like... Fairly comparable to what we're seeing right now. Yeah. How, do, you, do you feel like this metric matters based on the results of the past few years? I'll let you decide that. For me... It's how many stars do you bring back in skill positions and do you have the core of your offensive line? And let's be honest, this is content for the beginning of February.
5: You haven't had spring ball. You haven't had another transfer portal window, which we all expect to be as crazy, if not crazier than before. And I'm not talking just from a BYU standpoint. I'm talking college football wide. So it, it does you no good to start making predictions about a team that may not even look
2: like what it's looking like now in five months. You want to know what the real Y factor is and if I feel like my team is going to be pretty good or not? The continuity of the coaching staff.
1: This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Here are what the coaches, Athletes and experts have to say, here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation.
2: He is a recruiting expert to the max, specifically for BYU football. He is Jeff Hansen, Cougar Sports Insider. Jeff, we're all wondering right now, can BYU compete in the Big 12 as currently constituted with their recruiting class. So with that very simple question I welcome you to the show and ask you is BYU fit to compete in the Big 12 right now from a recruiting standpoint?
6: The short answer is yes, right? I mean, when you look at what BYU's done over over decades, really, specifically last year we could talk about the specifics, but over decades, BYU always has top end players. So can they compete on a week to week basis? Absolutely. The team is ready to compete on a week-to-week basis. Can they compete for championships? And when when you look at like a 12-game schedule, say, hey, they're going to compete for the top spot in the Big 12. I don't think they're there yet, but I think they can be. There's enough talent in BYU's recruiting pool that they certainly can compete in the future. Uh, I I think BYU is talented enough, and they've proven it. They've beaten Oklahoma. They've beaten Texas. I think they're talented enough to compete with anybody in the Big 12 on an individual game basis. It, it's the 12-game the stretch and the depth that uh, things start to get a little bit more dicey.
0: Yeah, one-offs are one thing. Uh, a nine-game slate where you need to go probably 8-1 and one to make that title game is certainly different. So we'll break down the signing class of BYU had in a moment, but how many more dudes of the ilk of Jackson Bowers and Sialia Sarah and L.J. Martin does BYU need to get to that level in your opinion?
6: You know, uh, it, it's really kind of interesting to think about that if, if BYU adds one or two guys like that per recruiting class, they're really going to be up at the, the, the top tier of the Big 12. So Jeff, take away that's Texas, it? One or two more? It, it's not much. Take away Texas. Take away Oklahoma. Uh, right, They're leaving the conference. Most schools in the Big 12 are signing two, maybe three, four-star guys in a class. So if BYU can get to three or four guys consistently, they're going to have the top end talent that the rest of the conference has. I mean, obviously there's year in and year out fluctuations where TCU has a great year. They're you know they're going to have a great recruiting class this year, but by and large BYU would be able to compete if they get three or four four stars a class. It's the rest of the class that really has to improve, and BYU can do that, but they they need to improve. I guess the floor of their recruiting. Maybe more so than they need to improve the ceiling of Mm -hmm. their
2: recruiting. Jeff Hansen, Cougar Sports Insider, with us on BYU Sports Nation. Jeff, every recruiting class has a brand or a trademark, something that clearly the coaching staff was after. So what's the trademark or, or the brand of this specific recruiting class for BYU?
6: Yeah, I'm, my answer is going to be probably not what you're expecting, Spencer, but I, I think discipline. So when I look at the recruiting class this year, they only signed, I think, 15, 16 high school guys on scholarships. And that's not something that BYU has done traditionally. Even when the scholarship crunch is, is pretty crazy, they, they tend to go to 20, 25 guys in a class and almost fill up that recruiting class. Now, because of the emergence of the transfer portal and things like that, BYU didn't have to maybe throw those Hail Marys out at the end of the recruiting cycle and fill in the bottom of their class, those remaining five, 10 scholarships with guys that are kind of like, do you really want to bring them in on scholarship or not? They, they were disciplined. They said, Hey, we are going to go get these guys. They, they identified guys that they, they felt were scholarship players that could compete in the big 12 and they didn't compromise on, on their evaluations. They, they. They got who they got. They missed the guys that they missed. And the holes they will go and fill by way of the transfer portal or or other ways. And that's just not something we've seen BYU do in the past. They've always kind of filled out out the class with those Hail Marys at the end. Sometimes they hit, right? That's how Brady Christensen got to BYU. But sometimes they don't. More often than not, those Hail Marys fall incomplete. So it was kind of interesting to see BYU stay super disciplined in their evaluations and how they fill out their recruiting class.
0: Yeah, even on the field, we don't talk about the Hail Marys that missed. 2013 against Utah, we don't talk about the one that sure. didn't get to Mitch Matthews that he probably was held on or whatever, but we remember. <laughs> um, with this last class, who jumps in and competes right away for playing time, in your opinion?
6: Cialia uh, Serra. I mean, that that's my guy. Uh, he he's, he was such a standout at Timpview High School. I got to watch him play a ton at Timpview, do, doing some of the high school coverage that we do. And it's more than just the way he plays. I mean, he kind of looks like uh kind of like a poor man's Noah Sewell did at, at at Oregon this year. I mean, Ciale has that talent, can get there, but Noah Sewell looks like a defensive tackle but runs like a linebacker, right? I mean, he plays at 265. Ciale's kind of built in that same mold that he's a big dude, but he's fast enough that he can play middle linebacker. And I look at I look at what Jay Hill wants to do. Uh, in this defensive scheme, I'm an Ogden guy. I've watched a lot of Weber State football over the last <laughs> few years. Sie Sarah is the kind of guy who's going to thrive in that off or excuse me in that defense. So how quickly can he get up to speed? He's got the physical tools to step in right away. It really is going to come down to the mental side and how prepared he is come game day. I think he can get there. He's got that kind of work ethic. I I think he can compete very early on in his career.
2: Jeff Hansen of Cougar Sports Insider. He is a recruiting expert. I think a lot of fans, Jeff, look at BYU's number 65 ranking on 24-7 sports and think, okay, that's like basically middle of the pack. But you've been very outspoken about, no, 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 no. This is like the highest composite score that BYU has ever put together in a recruiting class. There's a disconnect there. So in layman's terms, can you simply explain why you shouldn't look solely at the 65 and that the composite rating actually may matter more?
6: Yeah, I've got to do layman's terms because I don't understand all the like really complex stuff, but really the the team rankings, there's an aggregate score that is all put together and, and quantity matters in that aggregate score. And then also the, the top end talent matters. So, so we're, I think BYU is at 65 right now in the, the team rankings. If they would have signed just one additional player, let's take another view guy. Let's take Spencer Fano, right, a guy that we all know. If, if BYU would have signed Spencer Fano, they would have gone from 65 up to the to the low 50s, 51, 52. I mean, that's mm. that's how tight it is once wow. you get into the 30s to 60s. Is one big time player can make a difference. Now in the past when BYU's had higher classes it's because they're filling out guy filling out their class with a lot of lower rated players that bring that aggregate score up. So the aggregate ranking doesn't tell the whole story. You really have to get into the nuance of the class and look at some of the individuals and their specific rating, and in that respect, BYU's average star rating on a per recruit level. This is the best that they've ever had. This is better than that. You know, the 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 infamous 2010 class with with Jake Heaps and Ross Oppo and Bronson Cafusi, all those guys. This is a higher rated class on a per recruit level than that class was. Now there's only 16 guys, right? We've talked about that. They were really disciplined. So so those few numbers in the class that's going to hold down their their aggregate team score when when an Alabama is signing. 20 or 25 guys right i mean even alabama's a bad example but when when utah state or when utah is signing 20 guys it's going to boost up their rating a little bit more uh if byu was able to sign just one or two of those four or five star guys that they were chasing then that, that recruiting class looks entirely different. If they were going to fill out the class with a bunch of low three-star guys and, and go from 16 to 24, 25 guys, they're, they're looking at a, a low 50s, mid-40s type
0: recruiting class. Too. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, riddle me this. So certainly in football, there's 85 scholarships. It's like 125 dudes on the roster. In men's basketball, BYU didn't even sign a high school kid in November. Um, it, it's Jake Walleen coming back from a mission next year. The transfer portal where, is where it's at. Will football get to that point where there are very few kids out of high school and it's mostly transfer portal?
6: I've thought about this a lot, and I think that I, I think the short answer is yes, that it will be similar. It's never gonna be able to be the same where where a school doesn't sign anybody, right? But I think that a 15 high school kid recruiting class is probably going to become more normal. The the way that I look at how Justin Anderson and Kalani Sataki, how they have to manage this roster now, is it's a lot closer to like a professional team, right? You're building a roster for 2023. You would love to sign a guy and hope that you're going to be able to develop him for two or three years, and then he makes an impact in 2026. But because of the transfer portal, that's just not realistic anymore. I don't think you can bank on that the way that you used to. So. The way that rosters have to be constructed is it's a one-year thing. And then anything above that one year is, is an additive bonus, right? It, it's gravy on top. And I think if that becomes kind of the mindset, or at least maybe more of the mindset, then yeah, you're going to see a lot more dependence on the transfer portal because that's what's going to help you win next year. Then you'll figure out 2024 when 2024 comes along. And I, I think that's going to be very normal for every team, not just BYU uh, going into the future.
0: How will missionaries uh, factor into that timeline and BYU's recruiting in the future? Because obviously BYU's biggest advantage is LDS kids who want to go on a mission, who want to be at BYU.
6: Yeah, it's a huge deal, and, and, and I'm glad you said that because that is BYU's biggest advantage, right? Uh, people talk about the honor code and the limitations that BYU has in the recruiting trail. I've always kind of argued differently, right? The the honor code allows BYU to get into doors that they probably shouldn't be getting into it, when you look at the, the state of college football in the past, right? I mean, you take a guy like a Kyle Van Oy or a Fred Warner without BYU and the unique atmosphere that BYU has. I don't know that those guys even open the door. If BYU is just a regular school and they're just an independent school. I don't think they even listen to BYU when they call. So that 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 honor code, it helps BYU as much as it ever hurts BYU. And as a result, that missionary pipeline is going to be huge in the future. It's going to continue to be huge. Uh, I think you look at a guy like Logan Fano, who who just transferred to Utah, that's that's kind of the risk, right? BYU was still able to sign him out of high school. They were still able to get him enrolled, but it was still kind of a one-year clock once he got on campus once he decided it wasn't for him he left right so it's it's the same that it would be for a high school kid but i do think that because of of missions and byu and kind of the unique atmosphere that byu is able to offer the missionary program will still be a a big part of it but it just it, it kind of limits byu's timeline on how fast you can get a missionary on the field in the future because they'll transfer after they get home if they're not playing like they think they should
2: fantastic and thought-provoking insight from Jeff Hanson you can follow him on Twitter at Rokutu 10 I said that right right you did you did well done <laughs> all right Jeff we appreciate the time thanks Jeff we know you'll be busy watching the transfer portal so uh, don't get too comfortable we'll probably call again and want to do a post spring transfer portal conversation as well
1: love it thanks guys we'll be right back with more of the best of BYU sports nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. For most student-athletes, attending college
2: means a new beginning, naturally. And for many, that can mean far from home. Then there's Kaylee Smiler, who's dealing with a physical distance of over 7,000 miles to get her to BYU, where she shares her gift of hoop and dance from the Maori culture. This is Deep Blue featuring Kaylee Smiler.
7: I grew up being taught that if you are Māori, you are Māori. It it doesn't matter if you're 1%, 10%, half, like I, I never knew what all these percentages were. Every year BYU has a luau which showcases Polynesian cultures. One of the leaders for luau reached out to me and was like, hey, are you free to lead this section? I know you're from New Zealand and you're Māori. It would be awesome if you could join. And my first reaction was like, there's no way, I'm too busy. (laughs) And then a couple of weeks later that goes by and she's like, hey, I just wanna let you know if you can't do it, we have nobody. So there won't be a multi section provided at Luau this year. And so I like called my dad, hit up my sister and I was like, it's just unacceptable, (laughs) that can't happen. Dancing is one of my most favorite things. My heart is split into one is for basketball, one is for dance. Um, especially cultural dancing, doing Māori kapuhaka, because it connects me to my ancestors, to my culture. So every time I do it, I feel the spirit. I can feel their mana. Mana is the Māori word for strength. And so when I perform, I just feel connected to, to everything. It's definitely something I remember forever, being able to perform my culture in front of my family that I have in Utah, my basketball family. Also to be able to teach BYU students who know nothing about my culture, a little piece of what I have from home to them.
8: Our childhood was amazing, and my parents made the decision to keep us all close to our cousins. They always wanted us to grow up together in a safe environment. We're all supporting one another. And
7: with the Māori culture in New Zealand, it was um, important that they always had that connection to their home. I've learnt that it takes a village. And so just growing up, like it wasn't just my parents taking care of us and it wasn't just my aunties and uncles taking care of their family, you know, like everyone in the community was a big family. And I love that, because I could go to anyone's house for dinner. I could hang out with anybody's friends and stay the night. It was very safe, happy, wholesome, yep, childhood.
4: (laughs) And uh, in our little cul-de-sac, there were like five basketball hoops of different of different heights. And it was like a congregation, a little nursery of basketball that would find a hurt from, from the you know, the youngest little kids, you know, to the teenagers. Basketball
7: has been with my family forever. I don't know what we'd do without it. Every family holiday, every public holiday, Christmas, birthdays, like any kind of tournament, away games, vacations, you had to have a basketball with you.
4: You know, sport does so much, it teaches them uh, discipline and commitment, dedication, teamwork, communication.
8: When I was a senior and she was a first-year freshman, she was in the starting five. It wasn't because I was team captain and dad was a coach, it was because no one was faster than her or no one could defend as well as her. You know, she held her own, she worked hard to build her skills. And so she deserved a starting five spot as a freshman in our high school team, right? And we got to a national championship. And so when she got recruited to play at BYU, I knew any team would be lucky to have Kaylee.
7: So like every 15 year old girl, I had my life sorted. It was planned. I was going to graduate from high school and then try to get a scholarship to play on the BYU-Hawaii women's basketball team because my sister played on the team at the time. The next year I turned 16 and my sister calls and was like, oh, the program's shutting down. All sports at BYU-Hawaii won't be there anymore. And that's when I was like, I need to figure out what I'm doing with my future now. (laughs) And it hit me, like all those morning practices, all those games and tournaments and funding that went into everything. I was like, I don't think I'm ready to let it go. And that's when I heard of BYU-Provo and I was like, BYU, there's two? There's a (laughs) BYU-Provo?
8: I had woken up late and I got a random call and all I could hear was Kaylee Kaylee got hurt. Uh, We're going to the emergency room. Can you meet us at the hospital?
7: I was at Deer Creek boating with some friends. It was my turn and I was wakeboarding and I fell off and I fell off pretty bad. So, you know, my feet came out of the boots. As I was putting my board up, I started getting sucked under. And before I knew it, I was hit by the side of the boat propeller and so it shot me out and at the time I didn't really understand what was going on. Too much adrenaline. I honestly thought the ladder hit me. Took a quick look and yep, it had cut all the way down to my my femur bone. She
8: has like the tendency for things to happen to her. Heavenly Father definitely has a list of special people that he looks out for. It's definitely Kaylee on that list. Something will happen to her and then she doesn't even get a good result. The outcome, Better than what you could have thought, you know?
7: I was basically the miracle of the week because if I had been cut like two inches higher, then I would have passed away. I would have just bled out on the boat. Or if I had been hit two inches lower, then that would have been around my knee. So I, you know, I could have been amputated from the knee down. If I was two inches inward, then it carries my femoral artery. I could have been hit and passed over there. It was just amazing. There was like, there's no way you could get in an accident and yet still have the most perfect circumstances for us to perform surgery on you. And so they're like, you're a lucky girl. And that's why, yeah, it's definitely a miracle I'm here today.
8: So it's not just that Kaylee got into an accident, you know, it, it, four or five miracles happened after that. Of course they happened after that, you know. After Kaylee graduated with her bachelor's degree, she had to go home to New Zealand because she was no longer here on a student visa. Of course she had to go back, that was the tragic thing. But then they offer her a master's program, completely paid for, of course they did, you know.
7: And so just like that, I renewed my visa and I came right back for another two years. <laughs> it's great, I don't know, it always works out for Kaylee. I don't know.
8: <laughs> she must be doing something right, you know. I'm incredibly
7: proud of her as a, as a young woman. She represents not only her family and her country,
4: but her school as well. No, we, we're not there, but we know that she's very well supported. Uh, from friends in the community to all the coaches.
7: Never in a million years could I have imagined where I am today. I'm like the first in my school to get a Division One scholarship, to go full ride. I'm the first in my neighborhood to, you know, study in the States, do all these kind of accomplishments. So I feel like when I win, we all win. E, korio e ngaro. I can never be lost. Um, he no aho. For I am a seed, iroya mai rangiatea, a seed sown from heaven. I love it because it reminds me that I can never be lost if I if I know who I am, if I know where I'm from and where I come from, then I shouldn't have a problem even though I live all the way out in Provo, Utah. Ikorio ngoro, hikak noaho, mai
2: What a journey for Kaylee Smiler, both in Ooh. physical distance and the emotional toll of the things that she has gone through. She
0: almost died that in that accident. accident. And, and, and she's still playing with the knee brace, and you know, she's still recovering from that. But just for her to be here is special. There's a New Zealand pipeline with women's basketball, which is awesome, obviously covering rugby over the years. I've come to appreciate New Zealand in a fun way and Maori culture like we have. And it's just cool, I, it, cool to hear the phrase she uttered in uh, Maori. She can never be lost. She's a seed sown from heaven. Yeah, that is
2: is pretty fantastic. Pretty deep,
0: It's awesome.
1: Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. The Cougar Whiparound presented
2: by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Ah, yes. The Big 12 announcing they will be holding Football Media Day July 12th
5: and 13th at Jerry World in Dallas. Mm-hmm. What are you most excited about
2: looking forward to those two days? I think just seeing how BYU fits into the conversation. I am, I am excited to hear what all of the other coaches yes. say about <laughs> BYU and what they bring to year one of the conference and i'm sure that they'll all be complimentary because that's just what coaches do it's the day for everybody to be happy about everything but to hear all of the big 12 coaches just address byu specifically is very unique it's never happened before and i'm also looking forward to the preseason poll i want to see where in the heck byu is going to be picked to finish in year one of the big 12. it might be like 12th or something like that. Just just get the number. I just yeah. want to see that. Yeah, you and I are on the same page. I, like, maybe
5: it's self-serving, but I, I want to hear what they have to say about BYU. And, and, and just to see Tom Holmo in a BYU logo up with Texas and
2: Oklahoma yeah. and Baylor, yes. just to see it and witness it, cannot wait. To be officially a part of the madness at Jerry's World. Two-day media yes. event. Yes. Big Game Boomer has ranked BYU at Arkansas as the 11th overall top non-conference game in the 2023 college football slate. Jason, moving forward, would you be okay if BYU was not on a list that included top non-conference games?
5: 100%, I'm all about scheduling the dubs for the first three. You're scheduling teams that you know you're gonna beat, that way you always head into conference play, three and oh,
2: that's the job. I'm okay with one. I'm okay with one tough non-conference game, and guess what, more often than not, it's gonna be Utah. And so I'm totally in favor of that game happening a majority of the time. Let's say six to seven out of every 10 years, BYU is going to play Utah and that most like likely will be part of the top non-conference game list because it is such a heated rival. You and I are going to have to agree to disagree on this one. <laughs> you don't want Utah on the schedule.
5: I don't want Utah on the schedule and I want three cakes in the first. <laughs> baseball was picked to finish third in the WCC preseason rankings. Will they finish higher or lower?
2: I think they're going to finish right at that spot, Jason. Uh, I think BYU baseball... Uh, yeah, they're a top three team in the West Coast Conference. Yeah. I hope they finish higher than that. I do not think they will finish lower than that. I, I, I think that number three is a totally fair position yeah, for this team. When I saw this come out, I, I thought,
5: yeah, I think they got it. And there is certainly, look, there's so many new faces on this team now. They, they bring a lot of guys back. This is one of those teams where you bring a lot back, but you also have a lot of new talent coming in. If some of these new guys can, can do what their talent says they can do,
2: there's a chance they can move up, but I do like it at three. Yeah. The top three team, get to the postseason tournament, right? Yeah. You're, you're in that mix. Yep. How about this? Chiefs head coach, BYU legend Andy Reid told KCTV5 what he enjoyed for his post-Super Bowl victory meal.
4: Yeah, I went to Pizza 51. <laughs> That's what I did. I got a, a mushroom and a sausage pizza. How about that? and a salad just to make my, you know, chubbiness feel, feel uh, good. <laughs> uh, you can't beat him. You cannot no, beat him.
2: he is the best. Are you more impressed with his pizza choice or impressed with his healthy choice
5: of a salad? Well, I'm more impressed with the healthy choice, but not because it's, uh, it's just healthy. I love the fact that he had sausage on the pizza. Love the sausage on the pizza. I can't stand mushrooms, okay. so I can't go with the pizza because mushrooms were on it, so by
2: default, I'm gonna go with the salad. I'm impressed that he went to a pizza place because he's been so associated with cheeseburgers. true. He mixed it up. He did. He went to his favorite pizza joint or one of his favorite pizza joints in the Kansas City area, Pizza 51, got it done. He mixed it up, so I'm impressed that he chose something different after- You're right, he is known for the cheeseburgers. Right? Yes. Don't get me wrong. cheeseburgers are fantastic. Look, Andy knows it better than look, most. Look, if he
5: keeps bringing uh, Super Bowls to my team, he can go eat wherever he wants. <laughs> I'll buy. I'll pay
2: for it, Andy. You are gonna take him to Ruth's Chris? I'll take him wherever he
5: wants <laughs> if he keeps winning Super Bowls. Let's go. Alright,
2: you heard it, Jason Shepherd.
5: And then I may mean, not get to hang out with Andy Lee, That's so true. Here's that.
1: The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. What's Trending
2: presented by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. How many wins are left on the BYU men's basketball schedule? The Cougars have three regular season games left, plus at least one guaranteed in the West Coast Conference Tournament in Las Vegas, and then depending on how all of that shakes out, who knows when it comes to a potential postseason appearance for BYU. So... We've set the number at three and a half. <laughs>
0: Sweating. <laughs> this is thinking t- about this. I know, this is Jeez. tough.
2: Okay. Jeremy, are you going over or under <laughs> three and a half wins remaining on the BYU men's basketball schedule?
0: Okay, Santa Clara tonight at home at Santa Maria, San Francisco next Saturday. All tough games. <sighs> then uh, at least the game in Vegas, as you mentioned, we're hoping it's, uh, you know, like three or four. And then there's six to the NCAA title, Spence. I'm oh, mm-hmm, just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, I'm not kidding. That's a true fact of truth. If BYU got in, they'd be uh, in the uh, first four, so it'd actually be seven. Uh, So I say way over. It's like nine. Okay, uh, I expect BYU to win tonight against Santa Clara. Real good Santa Clara team going for their 20th win of the season. That'd be back-to-back 20 wins for the first time since 96 when they had Steve Nash. That's incredible. Like, like they're having a nice run here the last couple years. Um, Brandon Pajemski really changed things for them this year in particular.
2: Herb Sandek's the real deal.
0: He does a nice job wherever he goes. NC State and Arizona State and so on. Miami of Ohio. Wally Zerbiak and all these guys. So, yes, um, I expect BYU to win in spite of the week BYU had last week at St. Mary's. I do not expect BYU to win. I certainly hope they do. And then I expect BYU to beat San Francisco, one of the, uh, you know, bottom seeds, uh, the bottom four in the West Coast Conference. Uh, BYU is certainly kind of in that spot at six, Mm -hmm. right? Um, so I think there's two, and then I think BYU wins the game in Vegas. Now, that other game, I'm not so sure about. Um, because does BYU get an NIT invite if they end up with 19 wins? They can get two in the regular season here to get to yes. 18. They can get yes. one in the WCC tournament. Let's say, as you presented, the BYU is a five or six seed. I can't even remember if it was on the air or not. Let's say if BYU is a five or six seed, and then they get to that uh, you know, opportunity in the quarterfinals, and you maybe you match up with an LMU, um, and that's a matchup on a neutral court I actually like. I didn't like the one in L.A. I love the one here in Provo, of course. BYU won by 20. Yeah, you could get that fourth win at that point. So I'll say over, but okay. it does depend on matchups in the WCC tournament. For sure. Like if if BYU is going to line up with a tougher quarterfinal, like Santa Clara on a neutral court, different than Santa Clara in Provo, I would have Santa Clara probably on a neutral court against BYU at the moment. But in Provo, BYU has been tough, 11-3. Putting up uh, high 70s. is really different than they are on the road. Two and six right now. Of course, neutral BYU had a nice win against Creighton. But uh, it's, it's, just, it's just hopefully BYU gets that fourth dub, yeah. we assume, in Vegas. And then like if BYU got to the semifinals and lost in Vegas, at this point I would be more than satisfied with that result.
2: People are tired of hearing me say that BYU is a different team at home. But it is what it is. Yeah, we can quantify it. BYU is a very different team at yep. home than they are on the road, especially in conference play. So for a couple of reasons, I'm taking the over, beginning with I expect BYU to win their final two home games against Santa Clara and San Francisco, just like yep. you presented. Absolutely. I think BYU is going to go 13-3 at home, including two wins against pretty good teams in WCC play. And I know San Francisco is a terrible matchup for BYU because they have good guard play. For whatever reason, BYU really struggles this season against opponents in the conference that have good Guard play. Well, BYU's starting a
0: true freshman. I mean, it's it, tough. Dallin's doing a good, jo- good job. It, it, he's a freshman. You can't expect him to play like a junior or senior at the moment.
2: Sure, and it's not just entirely on Dallin per right. se, but BYU has a tough time defending good guards in conference play, whether it's St. Mary's or it's San Francisco yeah. or it's Pepperdine, for crying out loud. They just struggle with good guards. I know, the last-place team in the West Coast Conference. But like BYU to win their final two home games, and then an understandable loss happens in Moraga. BYU's matchup in the West Coast Conference, if things lay out the way that I expect them to, should be favorable. I have put together a list based on the remaining three or four games that every team in the West Coast Conference has remaining and have come out with the regular season finale projections. I believe BYU will be... The fifth seed once again, just like they were last year, and will be playing in a Friday night game. So as you look at the top nine, mm-hmm. BYU projected to finish eight and eight in these standings in these Spencer Linton BYU eight. Sports Nation regular season eight finale losses. projections. I know, that's going two and one over the back three. They're six and seven right now.
0: We would we would uh, we would uh, do quite a bit to go 500 into the Big 12. <laughs> Indeed. Like, the, like,
2: very different conversation next yeah, year. Yeah, got to gotta go get, better, gotta get better. So BYU, I think, will finish in the number five spot. That means they would take on Portland or San Diego on Friday night. And I like both of those mm. matchups. Why? Because their guards have not given BYU trouble in the matchups
0: yeah. this year. No, those San Diego and, and Portland,
2: no. I no. like those matchups for BYU. So I expect BYU to pick up a third win and get to Saturday's game against... The number four seed LMU. Now Cam Shelton is awesome for LMU, but he doesn't really have a backcourt mate that
0: gives BYU problems. It's it's Cam Shelton yes. and, and BYU figured he's been out. awesome against Saint Mary's and Gonzaga. Sure, he was not awesome in Provo against BYU. He wasn't. He, was parti- a-
2: he wasn't particularly great on LMU's home court. It took us had a slow start. Yeah. Finished with sixteen points. It was
0: a sixty-four fifty-nine slug. For
2: yeah, him. It, w- it was not a great performance. So Cam yeah. Shelton has struggled. First team BYU. all conference game this year. Yeah. I like that matchup on a neutral site. BYU beat LMU by 28 and lost by five in Los
0: Angeles. I like BYU
2: against LMU. I don't like it, Spence.
0: I love it. You love it. That would be the ideal uh, quarterfinal.
2: And that is win number four right there, which is why I'm going over. BYU gets to Monday. Oh, the BYU
0: homers pick. BYU to win again. In these projections, (laughs)
2: BYU takes on St. Mary's in a Monday semifinal, which is an incredibly difficult matchup.
0: I'd love to just get there. Get to Monday. I don't care about that result at this point. Like, this BYU team is about just get there, and what if a little magic dust uh, gets sprinkled on BYU, right? Who knows?
2: Beat Portland or San Diego, then beat LMU, and then see what happens against St. Mary's. But if BYU gets to Monday, if BYU gets to Monday, then I think they're an NIT
0: team. Win or lose. Then you got to 20. Um, you have and you, twenty wins. And you, you have some quality wins on the on the resume. You have some uh, bad losses too. But like you're imperfect. That's why you're in the NIT. I'm
2: um, taking the uh, over. Yeah. But that means BYU has to win their final two games. Like I am projecting BYU to win their final two games. So I cannot final overstate, two home games. You're yes, final two home games in right. the regular season. Can't gotcha. overstate how critical. Oh, if it is BYU, that BYU loses, hold serve on their home court. If
0: BYU loses to Santa Clara or San Francisco at home, I don't think BYU makes the NIT. Let alone in Vegas does anything with it. Yeah, I I think BYU could be in danger of uh, you know just the two games. Sure. The likely scenario is that BYU only plays two games in Vegas. Well, guess what? They lose the
2: quarterfinal. If BYU loses the home game, they likely finish seven and nine in conference. They finish as the number six seed, and now they probably play San Francisco on Friday night, which is not a great matchup for BYU, especially on a
0: neutral court. Sitting in Portland stink. Pepperdine does too. They just have matchups that are yeah tough for BYU to defend. (sighs) Why are they so tough? They've only won two games in league. (laughs) They had won zero in league prior to the game before the one with BYU. Topic two. Tuesday, Mark Pope was asked if he was paying attention to Big 12 basketball with an eye to the future. And then he said the following.
4: It's super scary to play the long game in athletics. It's really, really scary. Um, But for us, it's the right thing to do. And and I got all the faith in the world that it's going to pay off incredible dividends but we're definitely playing the long game with, with that in mind.
0: Okay, so he is paying attention to that, of course. Why wouldn't he be? Um, he's like, sorry, what? No, what is this? We t- we're looking at Santa Clara. Uh, what, is, what do you think he means by the long game?
2: I believe that this goes back to something that he discussed early this season, which is he talked about a more dramatic bottoming out for this BYU basketball team and the philosophy that the coaching staff is implementing. The offense they want to run, the way they want to play the game, and he said what's tough is... We're going to take a really deep dip, and then we will begin to climb together. But the dip is really tough to handle in the moment. And he said, our guys, like, I'm asking them to do more. It's a little bit more complicated, a little more free-flowing, and it's, it's hard to grasp. So it, it takes a while to kind of get your guys into the system. And then, again, then you can begin to climb back up the mountain but he said it's going to be very frustrating along the way. And so I believe what he's saying is the long game is I'm teaching my guys things that they need to know so that they can match up with big 12 teams and that they can run an offense that I believe will be successful in the big 12. It's a tough learning experience in the West Coast Conference, and there have been just some head-scratching, frustrating losses. South Dakota, Pepperdine come to mind. Even Utah Valley at home. I know Utah Valley is a good team. That's a frustrating loss for BYU. Y- yeah,
0: you, you don't accept home loss to you no matter how good it's it is. It's tough, right? It just is what it is.
2: So I, I am interpreting what he's saying as the long game as far as what BYU controls and what they want to do in the scheme and offense and defense that they want to run as it pertains to them transitioning into the Big 12 and – Hopefully this learning experience this year, as tough as it has been, will allow BYU to start a few steps forward next year so that they're not learning new basic concepts of uh, the offense that's going to match up better with teams in the Big 12. That, that's the hope. So I, I believe he, when he says long yeah. game, he's, he's preparing his team schematically for the Big 12 right now.
0: I'd like to think that those <laughs> – strategies would still help you beat South Dakota and Pepperdine. Uh, You know what I mean? And and he he, he
2: was strongest with those statements after those losses.
0: I think what this year has become and what it has turned out to is that BYU just doesn't have enough good players. I think NIL is tough. Nick Robinson said the other day to the Royal Blue Collective, there are certain players that we go and try and talk to in the transfer portal and their essentially agent or marketing rep says, okay, the, Opening number is X. And typically for a Big 12 starter, that's one hundred fifty dollars to $350,000 a year. The
5: fee to just talk to
0: them. Like, get in the door. Yeah. You, have to, you have to, yes, we would be able to give you X. So the Royal Blue Collective and Coup Connect and, all, and, and these organizations, they're trying to make BYU more competitive in this space. Mm. Because it's tough to get good, talented players at the level that BYU wants to be at in the league that BYU is going to be in with that kind of money. BYU needs better players. They've got some really good uh, pieces. I, I tweeted the other day, I wonder if we'll look back on this season, like we look back now on kind of 2018-19 that I've been talking about, of look at those young pops and what they did in 20 and 21. A lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores that cut their teeth, went 7-6, and six, and we were frustrated in the moment. You could even argue 2017-4-9. Look what it did in 20, 21, and, uh, you know, 22 was a little bit of a step back. Still eight wins, whatever. Is, okay, will we look back and go, oh, now that Dallin Hall is a junior, wow, Atiki, Foose, Richie Saunders, Jackson Robinson, those kind of core of five. Oh, Colin Chandler's back from mission, the highest recruited player in BYU history. Oh, look at these three to five other guys that BYU's brought in from other places. Can they elevate in that space to go 7-11 and 11 in Big 12 play, 10-3 and 3 in non-conference play, win a game in Kansas City in the Big 12 tournament, and now you're in the first four or you're in 11 seed, and now you've been hardened by the toughest schedule in the country yes. in that league or one of them, right, um, in terms of the schedule, the toughest league, and now you go and play a first-round game where you're like, look, we're in 11, but we ain't scared because we six seed, we played seven of you yeah. this year. Twice We played like three number one or two seeds. And we are ready. This is is a game we've been in. Um, That is the hope of the long game, I think, perhaps in Mark Pope's mind, of it's going to take a sec. Stay with us. We've got a young core. We've got the highest recruited player in BYU history coming back in a couple of years. We will continue to add pieces. But it's really important for these collectives to do a great job to get BYU in a space where they can get better talent. That wraps up the best of
1: BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.